The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture for this morning is in 2 Timothy 3 um, through 4. It says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, to do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thanks, Jordan. Well, good uh, morning again. Grateful to be able to, and humbled to be able to bring uh, the word of God to you this morning and uh, to preach it to you um, and to talk about it. I remember when I was um, in college writing a paper and um, I don't know how you write your papers, but I read a lot of my papers kind of on the fly, and uh, some I remember pulling one all-nighter, and it was one, just one time. It was the worst thing to watch the sun go down and come back up and thought, I'm never doing this again. Uh, it's a terrible feeling. I don't know if you're that kind of person. Maybe you were or are, and uh, good, hey, more power to you on that. Uh, but I was not that kind of person, and I remember turning in a paper. I was in this particular literature class, and I enjoyed literature. I enjoyed writing somewhat, um, uh, and I had a pretty tough teacher in uh, my sophomore year, and I remember turning in this paper, and then, you know, we all kind of turned it in, it was one of those, you know, exhales, kind of turned it in, there it is, uh, your finished work. Well, uh, sometime later, if you, week or so, when um, she had kind of gone through the papers, pulls me into her office, and and looks at me and essentially says to me, 
what I remember as, hey, do you read much? And I thought, this is not going to go well. And it didn't. My paper did not read well. But the words I remember, do you read much? Those, that, that voice, that shaming kind of like, oh, and even to this day when I write, I, 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 I don't like it because I have in the back of my head that I'm not good at it. I remember uh, reading in USA Today some time ago a story about Brett Favre, one of those, uh, who, if you know who Brett Favre is, famous quarterback in the Hall of Fame. He's um, retired now, but um, him writing about kind of the, the death of his father and what his father meant to him in football. And he was, he's still one of the most accomplished quarterbacks in history. I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame. He said the thing that always got to him after every game even after his father had passed away was this line that his dad said, he says, you're only as good as your last pass. And his last pass actually was an interception before he retired. Look, there there are voices that we have, uh, that all of us have, be it painful or loving. Look, I, I don't know about you, and maybe you're, you, you do this. I have a few of these. You have, why do we keep voicemails on our phones? Certain voicemails, you, you know you do this, or texts that read or have certain, something in them, and you're like, man, that, just, that was just so sweet. I'm gonna keep that. You know, and then you go get a new phone, you're like, can we keep, can you roll these over? And they're like, no, why would you? You know, they always look at you kind of crazy, like, why would you keep these? You got a brand new phone, wipe your life, you know? But I have those voicemails, and I'm sure you do too, that, that I, I listened to one this last week of somebody who, and I forgot, I was like, why did I have this? And I listened to it, and, I, and just, the, the voice just rang joy in my heart to hear it. Why? Why do we give so much power to voices to speak to us? Why do they hold power? Why, why do they hold the power of pain and love and joy and, and disappointment? It's because we're all seeking them. We all have them. Because we need voices to speak into us. We need a voice to speak to our lives. That's why we keep those things. When Timothy was written this letter by Paul, if you've you've followed along, and again, that's why we're writing out those verses for you to read, uh, even after this week, to read this passage again, because I know it's a lengthy passage. And we're gonna kind of hit in the middle and then circle around and kind of draw it all in together. But to absorb and think about, the, what is, what is the, what's the language being used here? To encourage, to equip, to, to bring Timothy, which this letter was written by a man named Paul, who was an older pastor writing to a younger pastor who was going to a church that was very well known. We've talked a little bit about the church at Ephesus. We'll talk more about it. But how is he gonna equip him? He equips him with word. And he equips him with not only precious words towards him, as he calls him like a son in the faith, but he also equips him with the word. He says, okay, you're gonna go into this immaculate, beautiful city that has a million different voices that are speaking into it. What is the voice that you're going to ultimately hear? Timothy, just like us, registered a lot of disappointment. In fact, he had anxiety problems, and so Paul, encouraged him to to drink a certain amount of wine to calm his stomach. Why do you think he had anxiety issues? (laughs) Because Timothy was timid. He was constantly weighing and thinking, what voice do I listen to? Who do I hear? 
You know, that is what it comes to when we talk about the Bible. That's, all, that's really all we're gonna talk about this morning is the Bible. And why is it that it is an authoritative voice? And not just an, but the authoritative voice. I mean, even to say that may, for some of you in this room, be like, uh, that seems a little extreme. It's kind of like, I'm good with the church thing and the Bible thing, but too much of Jesus, too much of authority, too much of claiming the truth, that might be a little too much. The Bible makes no bones to say, this is the voice of authority. And, and you'll see the reason why. If we don't understand it as that, every voice is gonna come in and do exactly what we were just talking about. We're gonna measure ourselves and have, let it have power over us in ways that we may not know how to control what would it be like to have an ultimate voice? Just like we talked about in confession, to speak into the places that are so powerful that he is so high and lofty and yet he presents his voice in his language so kind and condescending. There is nothing in all the world like that that can bridge that gap. And that's why the Bible is powerful. We're going to look at it. We're going to look at why it's powerful. We're going to look at two, two things from this passage. We're going to ask the question, how the Bible got to us? How did it get to us? How did it get to us? How did this word get to us? And then we're going to talk about how does it get in us? How does it get inside of us and actually change us? So how did it get to us? How does it get in us? You know, again, Timothy at Ephesus, there were a number of voices. And Ephesus, I've, I've kind of leaked out, farmed in a little, uh, a bit of Ephesus to, to you over the series. But uh, one of the things that I find just amazing about this city was it was a connection between the East and West. It was, if you look at it on the map, where Rome is, uh, your direction facing the map, over here, and the rest of the Roman uh, uh, Empire over here, it was a connection point between the communication hub between East and West. Major philosophical, intellectual hub. There was mathematics, there was philosophy, there were things coming through Ephesus, voices that were crying out of, hey, this is what it means to live a virtuous life. This is what it means to live this way, right? Not only that, it was one of, and you've heard of this a little bit, but the temple to Diana, Artemis. Now, if you read uh, Acts chapter 19, you can read the whole section of uh, narrative in there. Acts is a, a narrative book account after the Gospels that talks about a lot of these places. I'd really encourage you to read it. And it talks about this temple. Now, you know where we live, right? Okay, you know that we have a Parthenon here. It, welcome to Nashville, if you did not know that. Uh, Nashville's considered the Athens of the South. It was called that ages ago because of the number of academic institutions that are in Nashville. Ironically, they built, because of that, the Athens of the South, to tribute that, they built this giant Parthenon. Now, I don't know if it's open to the public right now. You should take a tour of it. It's really fascinating because you can go down into it and see all these pictures of kind of old Nashville uh, when they'd have festivals here and gatherings and, uh, and, and, and even like the, um, I don't even know what it's called. It's like a little lake now over there in Centennial Park. Uh, I think it used to be somewhat of a river type look and they would have uh, boats or have things on that. Uh, it was huge world, world trade fair kind of things. And if you go upstairs, you can see the temple there to Athena. But this temple to Artemis and Diana 
was so profound, it was four times bigger than that. Four times. So big was the voice of Diana in their culture, the, the goddess of, uh, of uh, creation and fertility and nature, that they, people made giant pilgrimages just to come. You think Nashville is an it city that people come to see. You go down and see those pictures there. Imagine this. This was a massive city for its time, and it draw that in. And it also was a place of magic, a place where people... There were like magic institutions in, and now I know you're like magic, whatever, you know. Hey, Harry Potter fans, you know you love this kind of talk too, but think about this. People here, this is a voice of, hey, how do, we, how do we create, this is what magic is. It wasn't just like hocus pocus. It was, how do we create a better world around us? Incantations. It's a, just a different voice of speaking to gods, little g gods. It was this, so much so that Ephesus, the city itself, in recipes for magic was called the Ephesian book when they referred to magic books. It's called the Ephesian book because it was such a voice of how do we make, our, make ourselves have a better life? Remember, what are they bridging? The infinite and the finite. Isn't that what anything is? Magic lower G gods, anything else we put in that position. They're just wanting to bridge that gap. What, is the, what speaks into that? And this is where Timothy is thrust into. Welcome, pastor, to your city. And Paul revels in it. He loves it. See, even today, words for us are so powerful. Isn't that what all those things were? Language, words towards a God, towards, uh, you know, magic, incantations. Incantation is that. It's, you know, it's drawing out language that helps bridge that infinite, finite gap, right? Why is the Bible different? How is it different than anything else? Is it another voice or is it something more profound? This is where Paul says this, and we're gonna camp out on these two verses and like I said, echo kind of around them because there's a lot here. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 say this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Here's the difference. The, the word in there, it may say, in, uh, if you have a, a Bible, it may say inspired by God, but the actual translation is not theonoustos, Theonoustos is like Paul saw a sunset and he wrote Romans. You know, that would be if he was inspired. He was like, oh, like a, oh man, I need to write the, the letter to, to Rome. And he was inspired. And what the Bible's saying is theonoustos with an O. It means that God breathed out through. It's not that, that it was an inspiration in these men, particularly like Paul, to write this. He breathed out. He didn't remain silent. He made himself known. And just like in any good relationship, here's the interesting thing. There are so many things we go to in life, so many people we have in our lives that we wish we hadn't known more of. I can, I can think of a number of people in my life that I've known, that I've grown up with from Gosh, the youngest of ages up. Can think of a number of people, and, and I still, in my back of my head, I go, I wonder what they really think about this. People I've talked to for years, 
and still don't know why do I not? Because it takes them actually revealing. It takes them actually speaking of themselves, sharing of themselves. And the difference of God, heavenly father, God breathing out and what he's doing, he's making himself present and known. He's saying, here's who I am. It's not just words wasted in a page. He's actually saying, through these events, I'm making my person and personality known through even these persons in the Bible. Now, it doesn't mean he possessed the writers of the Bible to write these things. This is why we have so many passages and, and, and wonderful uh, things here. Uh, but different you know, genres, poetry, history, law, uh, all sorts of things drawn across the spectrum of history with different authors. But every time what you're seeing is not so much someone foretelling, but forthtelling. They're not foretelling. They're not predicting the future. It's not Paul thinking that. He's foretelling the things that have been impressed by the relationship that God has initiated on him. Now, there's a lot of things we're gonna talk about this morning and we're, I'm not gonna be able to hit every single thing. I wish I could. So we can talk further about them. But I wanna hit on a, a couple things here, just, just a few things about what makes this distinct. Because you'll read in here and he says, while deceived, uh, verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Listen to that. Live a godly life in Christ Jesus. That means in relationship to that doesn't mean we just read these words. And I love how the, um, the uh, Jesus Storybook Bible says it, actually. <laughs> the Jesus Storybook Bible for kids, which you should all read because I still do, just so you know. Proud to admit it. It is so good. And it begins by saying, yeah, the Bible's a book full of rules. But really, the Bible is more of a story of a relationship. You know, there are rules in it, but the rules are, are not the point of the story. The point of the story is to talk about God and him pursuing us, how he's come to get us. And then it goes on to say, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's not talking about people that are just trying to walk around with, you know, hoods on and trying to deceive people. It's people who are not imposters in relationship to God that we can be deceived by. Whose word are we, who are we li really listening to, Paul is saying? Who's really in relationship with God or with themselves? See, a couple of the attributes of, of God's revelation. One is that it's divine, right? That this book is not written in a way that we would necessarily write it. <laughs> in fact, when the word breath is spoken of in the New Testament, it's always spoken of with divine qualities. It's always said, so you know that there's a famous passage, John three sixteen. everybody holds up in an end zone, right? Uh, of a football game, nobody's holding up anything now, but um, they used to hold this up in the end zone and everybody was like, why do they keep holding that thing up? John three sixteen. 16, it was a, it's from a famous passage of Jesus talking to a Pharisee, somebody who would know every word from the Old Testament, every single one, who even taught it to other people. And the biggest contention that Jesus had with this Pharisee named, named Nicodemus was when he said, you know, to be born again, you know, it has to be of the breath of the spirit. And he's like, how, and Nicodemus goes, how can I be born again? I can't go back into my mother's womb. He's like, no, 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 you're not getting it. How in the world could somebody that knows every single word of the Bible 
not really know God or who Jesus is or the work that he's looking for? How is that missed? God has to do that work in them. God has to do the work. God has to go into them to do that. There's a breath there. The spoken word of God has to be in relationship. This is why we see this over and over. Look, there are are passages in the Bible that that describe things like the mountains skip like rams when they hear the God's voice, those kind of things. It's speaking to the fact that creation recognizes the revelatory nature of God. It It hears his voice and knows it. That creation speaks out his voice, that he chose to make himself known. And he makes himself known in the Bible over and over in ways that we would never think that he would. It also is received widely. These books and passages, there's a lot of discussion about, and again, this is something we talk another time about, how does God, okay, why, why these books, why here? The, you know, the church didn't create the Bible. Just an encouragement to you. The Old Testament canon, which means that book was, was actually already in existence 200 years before Jesus was even born. The New Testament canon, which was widely circulated, was then recognized as these widely circulated letters, not way later in the 16th century when everybody says the church put the Bible together. It was actually recognized in the second century AD because they were so widely circulated and hung together. Notice what he says, 315 here. But as for you, continue what you've learned. He's talking to Timothy. And I firmly believe knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Notice what he's saying. The sacred writings. These writings have been around. This letter was written not not in the 16th century. This letter was written in the first century. And mid first century, even before that, because Paul was martyred in about, oh gosh, 60, 70 AD. So notice these sacred writings are there and they were received and they're apostolic. There are keepers of this. There are people, the apostles, who were the keepers of this. Here's a huge distinguishing marker of God's way of revealing himself in relationship than any other book or philosophy. The simple thing, the events precede the teachings. If you think about this, we've talked about this before, but I have to to unpack it a little more for you. The events of the Bible drive the teachings. These are not just teachings of Paul writing in. Notice, he's always going back to something. He's always referring back to what? The sacred writings. And then unpacking from there. The events of God's action in their life drove the teachings out. This is the same way it has happened for you and for me. When I was um, uh, uh, coming to faith in Christ, and I remember my sixth grade year, and um, my mom had become a Christian. My parents were just newly separated and, and were gonna be divorced. 
And I was kind of like, what is this Christian thing? I remember going to a camp and them talking about like Jesus. And then there was this stone that they put over the tomb of Jesus. And I was like, dude, that's weird. I've never heard of that. Why did they put a rock there? Like, I wouldn't, I was like, I don't get that. And then all of a sudden I go to this evening where um, there's a guy named Garth Jacks. He was a Dallas Cowboy linebacker at the time. That's why I think they're America's team. And, um, and he is talking about the NFL. Like, this is what I remember him talking about. He's saying, it is not, everybody looks at like us in this position as this glorified thing. But let me tell you, and, and he was appropriate for our middle school age, but he, he, he let us know that here's, here's the impression, here are the voices that I've heard you need to look like this. You need to be this successful. You need to keep working out to this level or you're cut. You need to be here. You need to be there. You need to take this up. You need to have this addiction. You need to have that encounter. And yet, you know what he said? The voice that came in and shocked him more than any other that pressed in on his life, the event that happened to him was when God spoke to him. Not in a flash of light, not in something else, but when God's words came to him and opened up and said, I want to be in relationship with you. And here's who I am. Let me tell you about myself. And when Garth Jacks did that, I sat there as a sixth grade boy and thought, I have never heard anything like this before. Now, some of you may go, oh, you're sixth grade. No, 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 no. Hey, anybody in here who is of that age and watching you know what it's about. It doesn't matter how old you are. God spoke to me in a way, and I remember a distinct feeling of someone wanting to know me in a way that I've never been known. God spoke in. And that's what, this Holy, what the Holy Spirit does. The huge linchpin here is the fact that what God does is he sends himself to breathe into it. There's a, um, there, Peter, when he wrote his letters, his second letter, Peter, the, the big apostle Peter, writes about this. He talks in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 21, about the time when he actually got to see Jesus transfigure. He actually got to see Jesus change from a man to light. Like he unveiled a little bit of his glory and then kind of shut it again. And he talks about it here. And here's what he says to encourage. And Peter is written to people who are suffering in deep places of fear about what's gonna happen to them. And he said, and we have the, um, he talked about this. For when, we receive, he, uh, when he received honor and glory from the Father and the voice born to him from the majestic glory, this is my beloved son of whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we are with him on the holy mountain. But we have something more sure, a prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning, mor- the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes without someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that word carried along, by the way, is a nautical term. It's like a 
like a huge sail that goes up on a ship and it can't go anywhere. The sail's up, but unless what happens? It's, it's a nautical term saying carried along, meaning the wind fills the sail and is driven at great speeds into the waters because the Holy Spirit comes in. I heard of this as... Um, Years ago, when the movie uh, Devil Wears Prada was made, some of you, that may be like your classic, I don't know if you like that movie or not, but um, when it was made and they were doing a reading, you know that they, when, when they get together for movie scripts and before the movie's being filmed, they all sit in a circle and they, you know, Star Wars, that was like their big hype. They were like, took a picture of everybody sitting in a circle and you were like, oh my gosh, there's Carrie Fisher. Oh no, there's Harrison Ford. And you're like, you're seeing them all reading the script together. What was said that when Devil Wears Prada, when they were in the room reading the script together, there was a scene from the movie where where Meryl Streep like screams in the movie scene. But for the power of that moment, she decided she would start, she would whisper. She whispered every line. And it was fascinating because the entire group just leaned in and got closer and closer and closer. And it wasn't about the loud voice. It was about the power of what was said, the words. And it drew them in to that. See, it's so easy for us to miss the fact that what's the loudest voice in the room? What's the most authoritative voice? And it could be quiet. And it's there. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, there's two kinds of reading. We can use a book for our own purposes, but then there's another kind of reading where we receive the author's purposes, where you actually lean in and go, what is, what is really behind what the author's saying? What, is it, what, is, what are they saying? And that's how it gets into us. So you notice that everywhere along this, it's, that's how it got to us, but it gets into us because it says, it's not just for like reading and observing, but it's to actually what? There's a number of words, reproof, correction, training. It's for teaching, sound doctrine, reproof, uh, rebuke, exhorting, growing. There's this language over and over and over of this word getting into us. And it's actually to do two things. One is to disturb the comfortable and it's supposed to make the com- bring comfort to the disturbed. Notice that one of the biggest things that it does in us it's to make us complete. You read that in verse um, 17, 317. All scriptures God breathed out by God and profitable for teaching or reproof for correction and training of righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped in every good work. Have you ever thought that the Bible isn't just brought to you, God's words spoken through revelation, but just to actually make you complete, to get into you, And not just to make you feel good, but to really disturb you. If you're reading the Bible and there are not moments and parts you're like, this is really hard, I don't like this, then you may be missing what the Bible's about. Or you may just only be reading the parts that you think are great. The Bible isn't another confirmation bias like any other website we wanna go to. The Bible is actually, as one of my favorite books written on this, I would read this if you're writing it down. A guy named uh, Eugene Peterson, you probably heard his name, but he wrote a book called Eat This Book. And one of the things he says in that, he says, you may eat it and it tastes sweet, but when you find, take it down, it becomes bitter. That's what he says. Sooner or later, we find that not everything is to our liking in this book. 
It starts, our, uh, it starts out sweet to our taste and then we find that it doesn't sit well with us. It becomes bitter in our stomachs. Finding ourselves in this book is most pleasant, flattering even. And then we find out that the book is not written to flatter us, but to involve us in a reality, God's reality, that doesn't cater to our fantasies of ourselves. If it, look, we, we need to get into the Bible, not because it's easy, not because it's just sweet, but because it presents the ultimate reality and voice to every other one. Think about the way Paul even says this, and here's how he, how he, he says this does this. He says, in every way of this, look at this, my, in verse 11, you have ever followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim, my, in my life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. And then he says, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me. Realize this, that the Bible is this way. It is not just to disturb us or pull us out of, and as a good, any good relationship should, and show you who you really are. It comforts us in the places where we most need it. I will tell you, the thing that has comforted me the most about being a Christian is suffering. Nothing has confirmed my understanding and belief in Christianity more than my actual suffering. Because I have, I have looked even into myself and to think there is nothing else in all the world that not only says, here's what your suffering means, but sends himself, Jesus that is, to actually get into your sufferings and to feel every one of them. Every longing for him to hear every voice and yet he puts himself in position to do that. God says that he is going to put himself clothed in our suffering. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. If there is anything else that could speak to the beauty, any other religion, philosophy, word, there are voices out there that we can listen to. It doesn't say you should close all of them out. In fact, we should be the best listeners there are. One of the worst things that is spoken of about what Christians are is bigoted, narrow-minded, unwilling to listen. But if we actually understood that the word of God is this authoritative, it should actually make us the best listeners. Because we know the voice that's speaking to us. And we can hear other things and weigh them and speak back to them gently as Paul has been encouraging Timothy. If the ground is God's voice, then the other voices can make sense the painful ones, the loving ones. All of them come in. As Peter himself said, we have something more sure that meets us in the deepest atrocities, which is what Peter was writing to. The atrocities that gets into them, the comfort, the disturbed. And yet of all these things, this is how Paul finishes this passage. Here's what's incredible. He finishes a passage by saying this. He says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. Paul knows that soon he will be martyred. He's actually in a position of seeing the end of his life. And I don't know if you've ever thought of this 
before, but the way that Paul is connecting the authoritative voice of God and how to finish your life well is huge. I know a lot of us may not be thinking of how to finish our life well, but why would Paul so connect finishing well, being a drink offering? It meant he was referring back to the Old Testament of a sacrifice, that his life is a sacrifice to speak the word of God back. Why would it be so profound to him? Because he didn't so much care in his what could be called resume virtues, the way that he set up, oh, I've set up all these churches. <laughs> he didn't set up all the great loving things or the, the things that people told that were terrible about him, the voices saying, you're not really an apostle. You killed all these people that were in churches. How could you be actually a Christian? That was his rap sheet. He could finish well and say, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith because not what he has done, but because what God has done. See, revelation of God is what you're about to taste here. In fact, theologians for centuries have said that you, you and I can't actually literally in church, you know, like doctrine, we're not allowed to even take of this this table, unless we've heard the preaching of the word of God. Do you know why they've set it up that way? Because the Bible says it up that way. Because unless we hear the preaching of the word, the word that gets into us and transforms us, and, and we examine our relationship to God, then taking of this table is just like any other meal in your day. But if you know what you're coming to take, and you take in the word of God, and you taste and see what it really is, it actually transforms every part of you. So that you can begin to go, I can finish well. I can follow, because not what have I done, but what he has done. That's the distinctive marker of revelation, of any revelation. God is saying to you, hey, and if you haven't met him before, and maybe church is something you've done for ages. Maybe you're so used to it. You've heard the noise. You've read the Bible. You've been in the place. You've sung the songs, but you've not ever been in relationship to say, God, hey, could you tell me more about who you are? I so encourage you to do that. Before you take this, and if you're here and you'd say, I, I wanna know more of who you are, come take this table, receive, taste and see that the Lord is good because he loves you. All of revelation is him coming to you to make himself known. So let's stand together, if you will.